Wayne Incorporated hostile takeover Superman's grounded waiting for the order Rex man two from the mic and Casanova Cause now that Chris and Matt are back to bring the pain This the podcast you play when you're waiting for the train When you're walking to the store when you're killing time at work It's a show that'll destroy the whole universe So awesome watch as I spit Jay Ferocious Two hosts with the most and I'm Adam Warrock Whether Marvel or DC hip hop or rap It's like KRS-One's Return of the Boom Bap Never out of style and we're coming on strong Even though every episode's a bit too long If Flash Gordon dies before I wake Then the cops will probably say it was WRA Now dig this, Matt Y'all know I love stationery Y'all know I love to take notes I love to write I love to write on paper I love to write in notebooks Matt, what'd you give me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers Correct. I love it. Uh, and I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever. Actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there. And that's great. The only problem I've had with it is... It doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called nanodots. With those nanodots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you've got a paper-like, and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper, like, feels good on the iPad. Uh, They also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with. But getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it. (laughs) That gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a Paperlike on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for Paperlike products. It also always comes in a set of two. So you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their digital pro planner bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax to get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to War Rocket Ajax number 54, uh, the all-sleepy edition of the world's most dangerous comic book and pop culture podcast. My name is Chris Sims, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Matt Wilson. How's it going, Matt? It's going great, Chris. Uh, How are you feeling, Uh, Chris Sims of ComicsAlliance.com and The-ISB.com? You pretty much just stepped off a a plane, didn't you? Yeah. It is uh, is 11.39 p.m. uh, on Friday night as we record this. I just got home from uh, New York. Uh, And I I left at 3 a.m., on uh, on Wednesday and just got back. Sat and obviously, down. obviously, you never slept the entire time you were in New well, York. It is the city that never sleeps. Exactly. That's and uh, the the biz never sleeps and crime never sleeps. So of course, 
I never slept. Yeah. Uh, making you all the more tired. Um, we actually uh, asked a few people to uh, do third chair for this episode. But it being uh, late on a Friday night, also, you know, I, I was kind of asking people at the last minute because we didn't know exactly when you would be getting back, uh, when what time we'd be we'd be recording the show. Um, you know, you were so busy in New York that we weren't able to do like a call in thing from there. So uh, everybody ended up being, you know, kind of busy to just sit around and to, you know, they didn't want to sit around and wait for me to Skype them to be third chair on the show for some reason. So uh, it's like, it's like people that aren't us have something to do on Friday right. night. Yeah. It's exactly. not directly related to say watching Smallville. <laughs> well, uh, so it's just going to be you and me kind of talking, kind of talking about uh, what you did in New York and some other stuff. So let's uh, get right into checking ourselves, Chris. Let's do it. So uh, you're going to have the majority of, of the uh, the checking yourself time, Chris. I'll just briefly uh, say something that applies to both of us that has also happened quite recently. We actually just kind of got uh, – I don't know if you would call them galley ed- editions or like early editions – uh, via PDF of the fake AP style book book, which we both contributed to. And uh, first of all, it's a really big deal to, you know, see a professionally designed uh, book that you are a part of. You know, I wrote my book last year, but I did all that myself. I designed it myself. I self-published it. So it is not nearly the experience to do that as it is to see something coming out from an actual publisher and then reading it and uh, it being really funny. Uh, even the stuff I didn't write is really funny in there. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I haven't, uh, I'm, I'm almost really waiting to, to actually get it in my hands to sit down with it again. I have looked through it and it, it is like, like it's professionally designed. It's, like there is a book that I helped write that is uh, professionally designed and is coming out from an actual publisher. Yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. pretty pretty neat. Yeah, I did. We say what book it is. We did. It's okay. they, we didn't give. I didn't give the actual title, which is "Write More Good," but um, it is the fake AP style book book, and uh, I didn't actually read the whole thing in PDF because that is fucking hard to do. Um, <laughs> read a whole book on a laptop in a PDF, but I got through about three of the chapters before my eyes started burning and, uh, it was really great. So, um, that's coming out, uh, in a couple months. So I'm sure we'll be talking about that more, but Chris, uh, to uh, the main event. Uh, what have you been doing the past few days? <laughs> well, Matt, I, uh, just got back from, as I have mentioned before on, uh, the podcast on Twitter, on Facebook, and on my blog, so you have probably heard about it. Uh, I just got back from a three-day trip to New York City. Uh, My second time going to New York. The first time was in October for New York Comic Con. Uh, And this time was for a uh, completely different reason that I'll get to in a minute, but I kind of want to go through what I did uh, chronologically. Um. There, believe it or not, there is a direct flight every day from South Carolina to New York City. But uh, I, in order to, to get on that plane, I have to get up at 3 a.m. <laughs> um, so on Wednesday, I got up at 3, went to the airport, uh, flew to LaGuardia, and then I got there at 9 a.m. So I basically had the entire day in New York City. And the day I got there was really the first day of this massive snowstorm. Uh, maybe, maybe the second day. I think it might have started on Tuesday, but it, it really got bad Wednesday night. Now, I live in South Carolina. The heaviest coat I own is a hoodie. <laughs> I don't own boots. Uh, I, I took a pair of black tennis shoes 
uh, that I wear to like to the gym because I figured you know these are the shoes I've been wearing while I've been on the treadmill. Uh, you know that that way they're all broken in. I'll be walking around the city. No, it's not like that at all. They're, like it and no offense to New York or New Yorkers. I loved the city. Snow makes that place filthy. <laughs> it turns <laughs> like it turns uh, black. The snow yeah. is black. Yeah, that happens. Uh, not to interrupt, but that happens in Chicago as well. But the thing that you get more here, and I don't know if you experienced this in New York, um, because it's a little colder here than it is there, um, is snow will fall. It will hit the sidewalk. Some people will shovel their sidewalk. Some people won't. The people who shovel their sidewalk are wonderful people. The people who don't are the worst people. Because that snow freezes over, and you just have a sheet of ice that was the sidewalk. It was it was icy, but it wasn't, like, in places, like, it was obvious that the snow hadn't been shoveled off the sidewalk, and it had gotten icy, but it wasn't, like, slippery. Yeah. Um, I, I did see one girl just totally faceplant in Times Square. Uh... <laughs> And I and I didn't laugh because that would have been mean. Even though it, I think it's like a rule in New York City that you have to laugh if you see someone face plant in Times Square. Uh, but uh, like I, the there was like mushy, icy water that was the same color as the pavement, and the sort of mushy, icy snow gave it the same visual texture as the pavement so there would be completely surprising puddles uh that just completely soaked uh my new balance which my, like my shoes are wrecked yeah I, I may just have to throw them away yeah tennis shoes in snow just do not work yeah i ended up uh brian childs uh who is one of the uh higher ups at comics alliance um the the AOL offices are in New York, and I and I went to visit him. He's a really good guy. He ended up taking me to a uh, a discount shoe store so that I could buy these absolutely hideous uh, duck shoes. I think they're called <laughs> uh, that are that were uh, warm. They have like a, a, a fuzzy lining, and they're rubber, so they're waterproof. And even then, like I would occasionally just step into a puddle that was just too deep. And I would, my socks would still get wet. I took, I was there for three days. I, I, I overpack sometimes. I took six pairs of socks. I had to buy socks while I was there. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, anyway, that's like really though, that is the only thing I, I can complain about. And uh, I was talking to, to Jen Vaughn earlier and I told her that I was going to record this podcast and she said it was just going to be yawning and complaining. <laughs> so uh, now that the complaint part is out of the way, other than the, the snow, uh, it was great. I, uh, I saw uh, Brian at uh, AOL and went out and got amazing uh, Middle Eastern food with him. Uh, Evie uh, from Awesome by Comics, our good friend, had just gotten back from Paris uh, and I saw her, uh, we, we got a cup of coffee, and then later she and Aaron and uh, David Wolken, uh, Benjamin Purdy, um, Max to the Max and I uh, all went out to, to dinner. I'll get to that in a second. The first night I was there, uh, I went out with uh, Robin Kimball and uh, Gina from First Second. She's their, uh, their marketing person at First Second Publishing, which is a great uh, um, sort of artsy comic book publisher but they did uh, American Born Chinese and Eddie Campbell's uh, Fate of the Artist uh, they have really good stuff uh, and we went out for Ethiopian food which I had never had and which was amazing uh, so that's sort of what I did on my first day uh, the second day I you know, just went to a diner for breakfast and then uh, it's funny I was actually staying like a uh, literally a block away from DC Comics which I thought was funny the second day, uh, we all ended up, you know, I, I had, I went down to Chelsea Market uh, to have what uh, Bully, the Little Stuff Bull, had told me was the was voted the best chocolate milk in America. Uh, it's from a dairy called Ronnie Brook Farms, and they had a milk bar in, uh, at uh, Chelsea Market. So I, I, I managed to find a way to get there on the subway all by myself 
just like an adult. Uh, <laughs> only to find that like Chelsea Market basically had a moat around it. Uh, <laughs> like the the way the streets were in Chelsea, just like huge puddles. Like I could not figure out a way to get like from one side of the street to the other. Uh, but once I I got in there, it was amazing chocolate milk, and I also had an apple pie a la mode milkshake. Uh, basically, what I'm what you're gonna learn in me talking about my trip to New York was that I ate everything I saw. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we all went out to this place uh, called La Lucha. That if you are in New York, is on Avenue A uh, across from Tompkins Square Park. And I, you know, I, I've, I've heard of this. Uh, Michael Noonan, who listened to the show, had previously recommended it to me, uh, knowing that I am a dude who loves luchadors and tacos. Uh, and I was kind of expecting, like, sort of... I knew it was going to be luchador-themed, so I was kind of expecting it to be, like, a planet Hollywood, but with, <laughs> but with uh, luchadors instead of movie stars. Uh, only to find out that it's actually, like, you know... Uh, like authentic Mexican food that's really, really good and and pretty cheap, but you know just served in a building that happens to have like a ton of luchador memorabilia and they have a blank white wall that they project El Santo movies onto all the time. Uh, and and was, uh, as we saw on Twitter, uh, I I think Evie tweeted a picture of the uh, the check at La Lucha. <laughs> Yes, the the check arrived in a miniature wrestling ring, and the check like the the check itself was stuffed into a Rey Mysterio mask uh, that was inside a miniature wrestling ring. It was it was really really awesome and uh, just absolutely excellent food. And all the food uh, is named after luchador terms or uh, famous luchadors. So I had a as my appetizer, I had the Hurricane Rana. Uh, and then I had, of course, the El Santo as my meal, of course. which was a uh, a, a great uh, corn tortilla taco with uh, pork, uh, um, pork uh, steak, and chorizo. Uh, it was the the salsa there was amazing. I really really liked it. And then I made Wolken and Max to the Max walk around Times Square with me, and we went to Shake Shack, and I had a root beer float. And then I went to Famous Original Rays and had a slice of pizza. <laughs> uh, just because you know, there's I, I did not get to eat uh, halal food off a street cart. Like that's like the one thing I wanted to do in New York. Both times I've been, I never got the chance to do. Well, there will be other opportunities, I'm sure. Probably. Um, then today, Friday. Uh, I had to get up really early so that I could do what I went to New York for, which was film a segment for The Daily Show. So there it is, everybody. That is the secret reason that I went to New York City. Uh, I can't really tell you anything else about it. I can't tell you what it's about. Uh, I don't know if or when it will actually make air. Uh, if I, when I find out, you guys will know. Believe me. Now, um, uh... I think the big mystery here is going to be whether uh, the this is going to be the actual announcement, or you're going to say something before between now th- this recording and when this show goes up. That's, <laughs> that's my question. I have considered playing twenty questions on Twitter because like nobody would get it at all. Well, it's, like, nobody like, would ever guess that. Everybody's been been like you know, I haven't been able to tell people. Um, because, you know, I, I didn't know if it was going to happen. You know, all I knew was that they were going to bring me up to New York to, to maybe do this thing. Um, but, you know, everybody has been assuming that it, it is like, you know, oh, are you going to go pitch Batman? No, I'm not going to go pitch Batman. See, I would love to if anybody's listening. Anybody, um, anybody who just knows that you're going to New York for a reason and that you're very <laughs> excited about it would always guess something about uh, meeting with people at Marvel or meeting with people at DC or, or something like that, signing a contract for something. You know, it would never be, oh, obviously it's The Daily Show. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know it's like so. such, a, such a weird thing. Um, but I, uh, I am in a... I am one of the people uh, who was interviewed for one of the correspondence segments. 
Uh, and it was it was really fun. Everybody at the Daily Show was really nice uh, that I met. And uh, th- they took me out for, like, uh, one of the producers took me out for lunch. And it turns out that we had been at the same party at San Diego together together um, this past year at the Penguin Party with, at an open bar. Uh, which was, you know, which... That's crazy that how how weirdly small the world is uh, when you know uh, I, I found out that he had been at San Diego and he had been at the penguin party where I also was yeah uh, that's but crazy. the funny thing was that he took me out for barbecue so <laughs> much like October when I went I, I I flew in a plane to New York City for the first time and ended up at a restaurant where I ordered general Lee's chicken fried steak uh I was taken out for uh, pulled pork barbecue Carolina style. Yeah, uh, that that admittedly was very very good. <laughs> okay, well at least it was very good. Uh, you know, now, it's not as it's. I, I will say not as good as the barbecue restaurant that is in a gas station a block from my house. But but good. Yeah, my girlfriend and I actually went uh, to a restaurant here. That claimed to have a uh, like a North Carolina Lexington style barbecue sandwich, and I ordered it just I guess out of morbid curiosity, and it was fine as like just any old barbecue sandwich, but it did the like putting Carolina in <laughs> the name had not like it was not like yeah like that. That like is an expectation. Like this was called, this was called. Uh, like the the they said it had Carolina sauce on it, and so I kind of assumed that it would be. And we have talked about barbecue on this show many times. Yes. But if you are a relatively new listener, and you are not from the South, uh, South Carolina, where I am from, has a distinctive kind of mustard-based barbecue sauce uh, that is generally considered to be the South Carolina style. Yes, and I'm from North Carolina, which actually has a western and an eastern style of barbecue, but uh, the better known is probably the western Lexington style barbecue, which has a vinegar-based sauce. Yes, and I, I am, I, I, honestly, I am partial to the uh, South Carolina kind. I actually don't like the mustard base as much as I like the uh, slightly lesser known, like really hot barbecue sauce. Ah. Uh, that d- is not as well known. But, you know, there's also Memphis-style barbecue, which is a dry rub. But I do enjoy North Carolina-style barbecue. But this was neither <laughs> this was neither South Carolina nor North Carolina-style. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was funny. It, like, it's just, like, it's like somebody guessed <laughs> what it might be. Uh, but, uh... I, I have to assume that they had it, and they were like, oh, this is really good. This must be the way they make it in the Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> in the one Carolina. Uh, <laughs> but, Chris, I think I'm going to let uh, let the cat out of the bag and uh, and give the reason that you were on The Daily Show, that they were interviewing you for a correspondent segment. Um, you're uh, actually a birther. <laughs> It's true. Uh, it's true. I, I, where's the birth certificate? <laughs> you guys don't know this because uh, Laura often edits <laughs> those comments out of my articles at Comics Alliance. Yeah, just long screeds in the middle of your uh, posts about the X-Men. Yeah, uh, here, here's my question for Ask Chris. Where's the birth certificate? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh boy. No, but it was, uh, it was, it was really fun. Um, I got, I, I did take a couple pictures. Uh, I got to see the actual, like, you know, studio, uh, where that desk is really small. Um, and I did, you know, I, I didn't really get to talk to, uh, many people. I did see Jon Stewart and I gotta say, he is taller than I thought he was going to be. And I told that to one of the producers and they said it was the first time they had ever heard it. <laughs> But if you're a fan of The Daily Show, like, you've seen and you've heard, like, so many jokes about Jon Stewart being short. Like, I expected him to be, like, four foot eleven. Right. But he's, like, you know, he's, like, a normal-sized dude. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, I had a really great time. And everybody in 
New York was great. Uh, it was awesome to see all our friends, Wolken, Birdie, Evie and Aaron, uh, Gina, Robin, Max. Uh, I, I wish I could have seen more. Chris Murphy is up there, and I didn't uh, get to see him. Uh, Jordan White from Marvel, like, uh, totally offered to go out to, to dinner with me. Uh, but unfortunately, I did not have an X-Men pitch prepared now that he's in the X-Men office. So, <laughs> but that is not the real reason I did not go out to dinner with him. He's a really good guy. Um, but yeah, it was it was really fun to be up there. New York is a fun city to go to. If if you've never done it, I highly recommend it. Uh, but I say that as someone who has been to New York twice for a grand total of, I guess, eight days and has never left Midtown Manhattan. <laughs> Headline. Headline, South Carolinian says, New York is great. Yeah, the, the, the South Carolinian declares, New York, it's big! <laughs> uh, well, on that profound statement, let's, uh, let's make a couple recommendations, Chris. Sure. So, Chris, you've sampled a lot of uh, awesome stuff in the past few days. Uh, what would do you want to recommend to our listeners? Well, uh, I've already talked about uh, all the food that they have in New York. Definitely Ronnie Brook Farms chocolate milk, uh, La Lucha tacos, and uh, Queen of Sheba Ethiopian food. But uh, it, I am fairly sure that there's a vast portion of our audience that does not live in New York City like the rest of the country. Uh, so uh, for everyone else, I have a really great recommendation uh, I read part of this book on the plane back. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, Kim Newman's newest book, Mysteries of the Diogenes Club. Uh, it is a collection of short stories. Uh, Kim Newman, you may know uh, as the author of Anno Dracula, which is sort of an alternate take on Dracula where he wins and ends up marrying uh, Queen Elizabeth I and becoming the ruler of England. Uh and it's, it's been recommended several times on our show. We talked to Jess Nevins about uh, Kim Newman way back in his first appearance on, the, on Ajax. But uh, this is a book of shorter stories that uh, involves the Diogenes Club, which is a sort of separate thing. And it is very, very much like what he does with Anno Dracula and what uh, Alan Moore did with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, especially Black Dossier where it's a really, really enjoyable story with these particular characters, but there's so much going on um, that is, is not necessary, but enhances it so much uh, when they start talking about... And, and admittedly, a lot of the characters I only know because of Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen and Jess Nevins. But there are you know references to uh, uh, you know, uh, Loop, uh, uh, Arsene Lupin, the gentleman thief. Uh, Bulldog Drummond was referenced in it. Uh, you know, plenty of characters, and I know, like the drones, like two guys show up from the drones club that are just passed out, uh, drunk in the street, which is where Bertie Wooster and his ilk go to drink. And I'm sure that I would be getting so much more out of it uh, if I knew all this stuff. So I can only assume that the target market for this book is three people, <laughs> and it's Alan Moore, Jess Nevins, and Kim Newman himself, <laughs> who who get everything in this book. But you know, even without getting it, uh, you know, even without getting all the references, it is still like fantastic. I am almost through the first story, and it has just been absolutely uh, enjoyable. I read it on the plane, and it's so good that I was not afraid of flying. <laughs> but it's uh, available on Amazon, and it's published by Monkey Brain Books, which is the company that uh, Chris Robertson and Allison Baker uh, published books through. Maybe on the uh, the second edition. Uh, they can put your pull quote on there. Uh, made me not afraid of flying. <laughs> I thought that we were going to go with only three people will really like this. You can have but, ellipses between <laughs> two. But uh, I have heard that, that uh, Allison has told me several times that the uh, Kim Newman books that they publish through Monkey Brain always sell out fast, so... Check on Amazon, uh, check at your local bookseller, uh, but do it quick, because it is a highly enjoyable book, and they go quick. What about you, Matt? As you probably know, if you pay attention to that kind of stuff, uh, the Oscar nominations were announced recently, and 
one movie that got a lot of nominations that I really had been interested in before but just hadn't got around to seeing was the movie Winter's Bone, which I finally watched. <laughs> <laughs> Bone. Uh, I finally watched the movie uh, earlier tonight, and I'm just going to tell you, uh, based on the title, the poster, and a lot of sort of maybe what you've heard about the movie if you haven't read a plot synopsis, it is not at all about what you think it's about. Uh, it is basically a mob movie set in rural, uh, like, Ozarks, Missouri. Uh, <laughs> like, it takes the idea of, uh, like, rural, almost kind of like, not back, well, backwoods might be the word, I don't know, but uh, just sort of like mountain people. Uh, hillbillies? Being, yeah, hillbillies. Being in the meth trade, which is totally a thing that really happens. And, uh, and like, kind of like building a crime syndicate around it. It's It's like hillbilly godfather is what the movie is. <laughs> and... Uh, but it's all through, through the perspective of, uh, this like 17 year old girl who's the main character, who's trying to find her dad, who was sort of part of the meth made making organization. And, uh, it is really good, really like kind of understated, but, uh, has some pretty intense scenes in it. And, uh, uh, much better than I thought it would be. It's not like the art theater think piece that I was expecting it to be. It was mm-hmm. totally a mob movie, which was awesome. That does sound pretty good. Yeah. And it's it's got bone in the title, so... <laughs> As a possessive. <laughs> it is yeah. the bone that belongs to something. To winter. Awesome. I, got, I got winter boned in New York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yet again, we're going to have a dirty episode title because <laughs> there's nothing we can call this other than Winter Boned. Uh, well, that's you know, honestly, uh, I I have been up there. I have not read uh, I've not read any comics. Yeah, I and, haven't uh, gotten around to reading anything this week either. So I guess we'll skip that segment and maybe we'll uh, answer some listener questions. Hey, Chris, let's do it. Okay. Okay, well, uh, we have gotten quite a few listener questions in our email, and uh, we figured this would be a good opportunity to answer them. Uh, So let's just go ahead and dive right in. Um, This one is from Jonathan Dudebro, who I really question the uh, veracity of that name, but... uh, he has two questions for us. His first one is... Of the Catskills dude bros? Perhaps. Perhaps. There were some famous dude bros who used to sing in that one theater at the Catskills. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, his first question is, what do you guys think of the Avengers The Earth Mightiest Heroes cartoon? That's on like uh, Disney XD or whatever the name of it is? I believe so, yes. Uh, I watched the first episode and then... Uh... The next day, unrelated, I canceled uh, that channel. <laughs> like, I canceled that tier of channels. So, uh, that one episode that I watched was pretty good. Was yeah, I've only, I only it. know what I've heard on Twitter about it, because I don't have very much cable. Uh, just kind of, like, the basics. So, I don't get the channel that it's, that it's on. Um, so... Uh, your answer, Jonathan, is we kind of haven't seen much of it. <laughs> I, I will say this. Um, that show could be terrible, but uh, it will always at least be kind of awesome, because in the episode that I saw, uh, the government sends some guys to go, you know, get Hank Pym from his crazy laboratory where he's working, and the unnamed gang of soldiers that shows up... Uh, uh, or mercenaries with with claw, uh, are modeled after uh, the cast of Predator. Oh, so that's awesome! 
so there's a, a Jesse Ventura, a, a Bill Duke, an Arnold Schwarzenegger. There's, you know, Poncho, Mac Dillon, Dutch. <laughs> it's that, pretty cool. But they don't tell any uh, extremely filthy jokes to each other, which is was upsetting. And there's no scene where uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger comes in and Carl Weathers is there. And he says, oh, uh, God, I wish. Dylan, you son of a bitch, which is <laughs> the most amazing. Yeah, but also in the plot of that, like to carry that metaphor further, in the plot of that episode, Hank Pym is the predator, which I think is hilarious. Yeah. But honestly, anything would be better than uh, that short-lived Avengers cartoon from that was on Fox in like, oh, the late that 90s. that was rough. It only went like four episodes, I think. It did not last long. Yeah. It but was there was slow. like, they had contracted a 12-issue comic book tie-in. It, oh, yeah. It was a rocky road of a show. That So, it's got to be better than that. Uh, even though I haven't seen any of the show, I know it's better <laughs> than that. Jonathan's second question uh, is Popeye's or KFC? Oh, Popeyes. That's yeah. just not even a question. Between the two of them, Popeyes. But uh, if we haven't talk, talked about food from the Carolinas enough already, my personal preference is always going to be uh, Bojangles. See, I like Popeyes better than Bojangles. Yeah, we've, we've been over this, and uh, I don't understand it. I don't get it from you, but if that's what you want to believe... I don't dislike Bojangles, but Popeye's <laughs> chicken is spicier and more flavorful, and their biscuits are butterier. And they have red beans and rice, and Bojangles doesn't. So uh, Bojangles seasoned fries. That's all I have to say about the that. Season, the seasoned fries of Bojangles are good. And yeah. plus, you can get them at breakfast time. Yeah, you can get anything at Bojangles <laughs> at any time of the day. Sponsor <laughs> this show. At- Sponsor this show, Bojangles. I yeah. will be all for it. I will gladly pimp Bojangles products. You can on go TV. to Bojangles at like 9 a.m. and get a three-piece chicken dinner. Yeah. With fries. Or, or you can go at like, you know, 9 p.m. and get a, a sausage biscuit. Yeah. It's amazing. I love Bojangles. Okay. Uh, this is a question from Sam Saylor, and I don't, I'm not going to even try to understand it, but I'm going to ask it. Uh, okay. His question is, would you rather, one, kill a homeless person and nobody would ever find out, or two, <laughs> have all your friends and family walk in on you having sex with a homeless person that someone else just killed? Keep in mind, he says, there is a correct answer. Um, I mean, I, I would really rather do neither of those things. Well... Look, like, I, this seems like a no-brainer question to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, well, wait, what's, the, I have my answer, what's yours? Number one, like, yeah, you get to kill somebody, which, you know, not that I necessarily want to murder, <laughs> but. I, I have no desire at all to kill a hobo, but clearly there's a hobo dying either way in this scenario. Yeah, I'd rather, I'd much rather kill a hobo than have sex with a dead hobo. Also, uh, one involves nobody finding out. The other involves everyone you know finding out. This, I just, I don't understand why this is even a choice, to be honest. Yeah, I don't, I mean, there's a lot of things I don't understand about this question. Yeah. It, I do I do want to come out and say that War Dex does not in any way endorse killing hobos or anyone. <laughs> Right, because uh, you never know when one is going to have that golden radio voice. <laughs> oh, well done, sir. Oh, I do what I can. Uh, let's move on to this question uh, from Jim McArdle. Uh He says, you have often talked about Bayonetta being the Chris Simsiest game ever. And that got me thinking, if there were any other games that could fit that description. I came up with the Dog Soccer series, which not only features a vampire that fights Ryu and Ken, 
and a homicidal Little Red Riding Hood, but a kung fu werewolf with nunchucks. So I was wondering if Chris is a fan of the Darkstalker series, since it seems practically made for him. Um, I love the characters. I love the designs. Uh, I hate the actual game, <laughs> and I am not a fan of uh, the uh, anime uh, adaptation. The comic that Udon put out is actually highly enjoyable, but the game, like, and it's not even that that Darkstalkers is is a bad game, really. Um, I just am, am bad at fighting games to begin with, uh, other than Super Smash Brothers. Like, well, I'm I'll, bad at Street Fighter, but I like it. In the uh, realm of fighting games, uh, Darkstalkers is like one of the for me, one of the kind of like clunkiest and toughest to play. Uh, I really like all the Street Fighter games, obviously, and there are a lot of yeah. really good SNK fighting games. Um, yeah. Garu, Mark of the Wolves, uh, which is a really, really awesome fighting game. Um, but Darkstalkers, and I have like a huge group of friends that are huge fighting game like fanatics. Uh, like they port, you know, a lot of games that are only available in Japan and that kind of stuff. And uh, even they don't really talk about Darkstalkers that much. So I don't yeah, know what that but says. Again, I love the character designs, but as far as like the actual game, and again, I will go on record. I'm a Capcom guy. I'm a Capcom fan. But there is nothing that Darkstalkers does that uh, Guilty Gear does not do ten times better. Yeah, Guilty Gear is a great. Uh, fighting game series too a lot of fun uh and, and has you know equally well designed characters yeah uh and and but and, and somehow crazier and really crazy animations too yes. uh character animations the when i think of guilty gear i always think of um i can't remember the character's name but the guy with the bag on his head oh uh, yeah the, like uh, the paper bag yeah i know exactly what you're talking about i cannot yeah. remember his name he has a weird name yeah it is a weird name uh, but yeah, I, I I would go on record as saying that uh, uh, Guilty Gear uh, XX Number Reload is probably a like maybe like the the second or third Chris Simsiest game of all time, they, well above Darkstalkers. They, those games are pretty Chris Simsy, I have to say. Um, yeah, because I mean, you know, there's a witch who just rocks out with her guitar, and that's how yeah. she fights. Yeah, so, I mean, and, and if there's two things that Chris Sims likes, it's sexy witches and rocking out with your guitar. <laughs> well, I think that, that that puts a period on the, that question. Uh, next question is from Zaya Grace, who asks, what is the best worst movie of all time? Uh, that is excluding trauma movies. Uh, and he gives a few examples, uh, those being Conan the, Bar- Conan the Barbarian and Frogs. Uh, Chris, any Jim thoughts? Cotta. Jim Cotta is a really good answer. <laughs> we devoted an entire episode of the show to Jim Cotta. Yeah. Uh, this he, is a, this is a tired answer, but it, like, there's a reason why it's so regarded as like a best worst movie. Uh, and that is because, because Troll 2 is as entertaining <laughs> as bad movies get. Yeah, and, and you know what? I'm not gonna lie. I know that it's kind of you know peaked. It's kind of gone over the peak of its uh of its uh, uh meme status. The room is really funny. It is, and you know, I actually just watched the room uh, a few months ago, and <laughs> was really surprised at the number of sex scenes in it. There were a lot. When like I think it was the. I don't know if they did it both times, but two years in a row on April Fool's Day, Adult Swim just showed the room like three times. Yeah, uh, over and over. The one sex scene, like where they block, like they they black bar ninety percent of the screen, and so it's just like one corner that you can see. Yeah, that is one of the funniest things <laughs> that anyone has ever done. Whoever came up with that idea. To just have the movie going, and then n- not even black bar everything, but just leave one corner of the screen is perfect. Yeah. Uh, I 
One of my favorite things about the room, actually, like having the cult status it has, is that it led to the episode of Tim Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job, with uh, uh, Tommy Wiseau in it uh, as like the guest director of that episode. Uh, It is really, really funny. Um, I love it. That dude's like, no, it's a it's a black comedy. It's like, no, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> I don't it's know a, what it is. But it's a were... it's a comedy, uh, but I don't know what other descriptor to put on it. Uh, all right, this is our last uh, listener question. It's from Evan. Uh, Guidry, Guidry, I'm not sure how to say his name. Uh, but it is a very long listener question, and I'm going to try right, to... Get some water. Okay. Uh, I'm going to try to boil this down as much as I can. Um, but basically, it's a comics-related question, and uh, he starts off by saying, uh, it's been seven-plus years since the cycle of endless crossovers and events has loomed over the major publishers, and in that time, to borrow Chris's phrase, the publishers seem to have learned the wrong lesson from the 90s. And basically he goes on to say that uh, we've had crossovers for a really long time. Uh, It's basically been uh, a total of 84 months, seven years, (laughs) since uh, either of the two major publishers hasn't had a major crossover going on. Uh... And part of the reason for this, he says, is that people will buy comics with their favorite characters no matter what like the quality of the story is. So you've got sort of divergent things going on here. People demanding good stories but also having uh, sort of unwavering devotion to characters. So he asks, how do you guys see this situation playing out? Uh, I'm a lifelong comic reader. I want to like comics, but sometimes the effort it takes to shift through and find something worth reading is too much. Uh, And then he says, We need some way to communicate to the publishers what is working and what isn't. I don't know what the system is, but it's not sales. What people buy isn't a reliable indicator of quality or of fan preference. There needs to be another voice, and I just wanted to hear your thoughts on the whole situation. Are crossovers out of control? Do you think what people buy is really an indicator of what people like or want? And if not, is there a way to change it? Okay, uh, um, first of all, sales are an indicator of reader preference. Uh, it's the only indicator of reader preference. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's th- there are people who buy comics that they don't like, but obviously something about buying that comic, you know, something about, you know, having a complete run of Amazing Spider-Man, not having a hole in your run, uh, gives them enough pleasure where they will buy something that they don't actually like. So, you know, obviously, the only thing that that tells publishers what readers like is what sells. Um, which is, you know, why... If you want to, you know, if you want to blame somebody for for uh, the cancellation of Thor: The Mighty Avenger, it's not you know Marvel's fault. If more people were buying that book, they would not have canceled it. Um, but uh, I, I will say, you know, I think I think the 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 idea of the the big line wide crossovers uh, is simultaneously overvalued and also just gets a bad rap. Uh, I think there's there's a, a, a sense that a lot of readers have where they you know they don't want there to be these huge line wide, you know, everything will change crossovers, but that's what sells. Uh, you know, there are books with self contained stories that don't that don't sell, <laughs> even though they're good. And the compromise is when you have writers who understand uh, how to make that kind of story structure work for them. Uh, for instance, just off the top of my head, I did not read Secret Invasion. Um, uh, you know, I, I just was not interested in it at all. I was interested in uh, Incredible Hercules and Captain Britain, uh, 
which were two books that used Secret Invasion as a springboard to tell amazing stories. Uh, the Sacred Invasion plot in in Hercules is incredible, and the fact that you know the idea of the the scrolls coming down and uh, you know they're attacking uh, America because it's where all the superheroes live, but they have to to tackle England because England is the center of magic was like really clever, and it was a really way to make that book instantly uh, matter, which of course a lot of people don't know. Because again, that book got canceled because people weren't reading it. <laughs> um, people are always, you know, I always hear about people telling, talking about how hard it is to keep up with stuff. Like, you know, how hard it was to keep up with Batman R.I.P. and read all those books. You know, how hard it was to keep up with, with you know, X crossover. It's like, it's it's not hard at all. You know, just read the books that you like. You know, find the book by the, the, the writer you like or... or a book that you've heard good things about and just stick with it. I, you know, again, not a big Fabian Nicieza guy. I think he's fine, but you know, he, he, he doesn't do it for me. So I did not read any tie-ins to Batman RIP. I just read the Grant Morrison issues. I was fine. <laughs> um, so, you know, obviously there are more people who like those line-wide crossovers uh, and like those big event stories than don't. Because there are more people buying those than are buying uh, Jack Staff, um, Hercules, probably. <laughs> uh, you know, Thor the Mighty Avenger, Sword, Captain Britain and MI-13 combined did not have Secret Invasion sales. If they had, we'd still be reading them. And that would be great. And I would be very happy with that. Uh, but I'm also perfectly happy reading... Uh, you know, Matt Fraction doing a tie-in to a crossover, or I think Fear itself is, it's Matt Fraction and Stuart Eminent. Like, there's no way that's not gonna be good. <laughs> and having said that, I hope it comes true, but I mean, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's Matt Fraction and Stuart Eminent. You know, I, w- I just want to read a Matt Fraction Stuart Eminent comic. I don't care like if it's an event or if it's, you know, a backup story in Casanova. Those are two guys that I really, really like, that are really super talented. I think... Uh, when you talk about tie-ins to like the main part of a crossover, uh, you know, a lot of times you come across that little star or that little symbol that says, "Oh, that person's referring to something that happened in this issue over here in uh, you know, secret invasion, frontline war, rampage number three, and." Uh, then that person goes, oh, so to understand what's going on, I have to read this other comic. Uh, when that's not true, but, you know, Marvel and DC and any other publisher that puts out crossovers wants, kind of wants you to believe that. Well, of course they do. So you buy those other books. Um but it's not. It's it's like it's totally not necessary to read that other thing, just because one character says one thing that references some other thing. Yeah, you did not have to read Shadowland at all to read Shadowland Power Man and think it was amazing. And yeah. I know that because I read. You know, I was actually enjoying Shadowland when it started, but I only ended up uh, reading the first issue of it, and then I read all three issues of Shadowland Power Man and was fine. Yeah, because uh, it was great. And, and and again, I think it's you know. A good writer, uh, and, and and you know I don't want to short shrift the artists on this one, but really you know figuring out how to tie stories in is the writer's job. But you know a good writer can make that kind of plot work, even when he's got you know even if other stuff is going on, he can make it to where you can understand what's going on. You know? Yeah. Um, and again, I'm not you know I would be perfectly happy. If there were, if if we took a break from big event books, um, just as long as there were good comics, you know, I mean, you know, the uh, Avengers Under Siege was just a story that ran through, uh, ran through Avengers back in the eighties for for you know five or six issues. It it wasn't an event. It's one of the best Avengers stories of all time. It's one of the biggest Avengers stories of all time. It has you know big moments and really personal moments. It's kind of the model for that sort of eighty. 80- and your story. But, 
you know, I would also be perfectly happy with, you know, Final Crisis, <laughs> which again, yeah. I didn't read any of the tie-ins, but I loved the event itself. I only read the Morrison books. With Marvel and DC, it's almost like uh, nuclear proliferation. You know, like uh, Marvel built something up, so DC has to build something up, and it's uh, it's so competitive. You know, like one company does a big crossover, the other one has to do a big crossover. Like they would have to come to some kind of mutual agreement, a detente, if you will, to say, okay, no crossovers this year. And it's probably not going to happen. I mean, yeah. if one has a big crossover, the other one has to. It's it's just sort of the nature of competition, especially when you have kind of, you know, two big superpowers. And again, you know, Marvel, you know, going back to Marvel as an example, a lot of people were, you know, uh, mad at Dark Reign when it came out because, you know, there had been, since Civil War, like, and on through Siege, it had been just one after another. But Dark Reign, like, you didn't have to read every book that had the words Dark Reign on it. Dark Reign was just, you know, something that was going on in the Marvel Universe yeah. that affected a lot of things. And that's called writing in a shared universe. That's that's right. a cohesive unit. There was no, uh, like, series called Dark Reign. Right. It, there was Dark Avengers, yeah. which... which I guess it's the main series of Dark Reign, but... I, I didn't read a page of Dark Avengers, but again, I read the Hercules tie-in, and it was great. I read, you know, The uh, the List, which was a series, you know, where... Uh, or a, a bunch of one-shots, which I didn't even read all of them. I just read the ones that tied into the books. But, you know, Norman Osborn gets so mad at the Punisher that he becomes a Frankenstein's monster, essentially, is what happened in that book. And that's awesome. Like, all of this stuff is just sort of storytelling tools. Um, and if you don't like them, you know, don't buy them. If enough people don't buy them, they will stop doing them. But I think, you know, back to the the issue of uh, sales maybe not necessarily being a measure of, quote, what readers want. It's, like you said, it's very clearly a measure of what readers want. Um, but I think comics is a singular medium in that uh, what readers want isn't necessarily quality. Now, <laughs> obviously, people go to see crappy movies, and they watch crappy TV shows. Um, but it's, you know, you don't hear about people saying, uh, you know, I bought Pirates of the Caribbean 1 on DVD, and I had, I, you know, I didn't really like the second one, but I had to buy it so I could have the next one. You know, I actually do know people like that, but they are also <laughs> comics readers. Yeah, so I think that's a carryover. <laughs> it's just it's there's a, a mentality among comics readers that I don't think that may only exist in like other sort of related hobbies, like uh, sort of you know, like uh, you know, po- Pokemon is you got to catch them all. Like, you know, figure collectors and, and that kind of thing. People where it's all about collection and completism. But, um, you know, it's it's a different metric for what people buy. But then again, there's no way to really determine what people want. You certainly can't go on fucking message boards and say, <laughs> oh, that's what people want. Because that's not at all a representative group, you know. Yeah, like I'm gonna I'm gonna be an elitist here for a second. Um, the average person has average tastes. That's what the word average means. That means that the average person does not like the exceptional books. Uh, the average person likes the average books. <laughs> there are mathematically speaking more average people, so the average books are going to sell better. Uh, that doesn't mean that creators should. Uh, ever stop trying to make exceptional books, and obviously, if the average book, you know, if if the quality of the average book goes up, that's great. Uh, again, you know, I would, I'm seriously looking forward to Fear itself. <laughs> I think it's going to be good because it's got good people on it. Uh, 
but you know giving giving the fans what they want is almost always a bad idea because of that like yeah i mean you know i talked about uh nightfall a couple of weeks ago on comics alliance and you know not uh nightfall itself but what happened with john paul valley becoming batman was a direct response to readers who wanted a darker you know more punisher like batman who killed people and it was dc going no look it would be terrible <laughs> The real Batman would have to come back and beat that guy up. (laughs) But, you know, readers say they want things. And, you know, like, do you think, do you think Grant Morrison listens to, to, you know, goes on message boards to find out what the fans, you know, what what the average fan thinks of, of Return of Bruce Wayne? Because he does not. (laughs) I will guarantee that. Of course not. Yeah. Because you know what? I'm I'm an exceptional fan. (laughs) Like exceptional books. I mean, I guess it comes down to, uh, you know, people are going to buy what they're going to buy. And yes, stuff that is not the best stuff out there uh, is not always going to be, like, is sometimes going to be what people buy and what people seemingly like. But occasionally, stuff that is good gets attention and people buy it. And it does become the popular thing. Yeah. And here's you got to here, celebrate here, that. Here's a fact for you: Watchmen is now the best-selling graphic novel of all time. Watchmen is also, you know, has a, arguably the best graphic novel of all time, the best comic ever. You know, you can argue that all day long, convincingly. Yeah. It it was not the best-selling comic ever until there was a movie of it. Right. Previous to that. The best-selling comic of all time was the death of Superman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The death of Superman and X Men number one, the Jim Lee Chris Claremont X Men number one, which is unreadable. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 double page splash that has like twenty six word balloons of Magneto standing there with his arms up in a dramatic pose, saying things for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. That Th- those are the. The best-selling comics of all time. So it wasn't until a great graphic novel became a mediocre movie that people really wanted to read it. Well, I shouldn't say that. I haven't seen Watchmen. I just assume it's a mediocre movie. I I feel like that's a fair assumption. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think that should probably bring bring this edition of uh, you know uh, cloudy thoughts. Uh, Comics Roundtable to a close, and uh, we'll uh, say that that's it for War Rocket Ajax number fifty-four. It's it was uh, one of our shortest ever, folks. So because uh, I am going to go directly to bed. Yes, pass out for six days after this. I, I have to I have to get back to the gym tomorrow and uh, work off three days of of eating as much New York food as I could. And you're not even going to have any shoes, so I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> well, fortunately, I've still got my Asics that I wore the last time I was in New York, and they got dirty. <laughs> but uh, if you have questions for us, um, we do prefer questions that aren't about comics, uh, but we do not prefer questions that are about hobo murder. <laughs> right. uh, I guess we have to say that now? Uh, that's probably a disclaimer we should put on there from now on. Uh, you can send them to warrocketpodcast at gmail.com, and we may answer them on a show just like this one. Uh, you can also find out more about the show at warrocketajax.com, where we do a rundown with show notes every week. Uh, occasionally we have art by Max Huffman, uh, and we have information all about us, all about the show, everything you can find it there at warrocketajax.com. Matt, where can they find you on the web? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at HighMindedMW on there. Uh, you can also check out my blog, which I actually updated today uh, with a piece that I sent to McSweeney's and they didn't want, so I posted there, which is most of the content on there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that is uh, HighMindedBS.com. Uh, you can also follow my fake e-etiquette Twitter account. That's at fake e-etiquette with uh, three E's all in a row. Um, also, uh, I am 
soon to start a new Tumblr that uh, is not quite ready for public consumption, but I should be unveiling it sometime next week, and we'll be giving you the address to on our next show. Um, please also, I would ask for you to follow uh, the artist that does our show posters and does a really great job with them. That's Max Huffman on Twitter. He's at Max Huffman. The uh, wonderful rapper that you heard doing our theme song at the beginning of the show is Adam Warrock. He's on Twitter at Huge Warrock. You probably have heard of that guy before. And uh, also follow another member of the Ajax crew on Twitter, Rusty Shackles. He's at Rusty underscore Shackles. What are the various places where people can find you, Chris? You can find me mostly at comicsalliance.com. Uh, one of the best, one of the best, I work for them. I should say they're the best uh, <laughs> website on tired. the internet. With this the is best. what being tired does. <laughs> yeah, we're okay. Uh, the best site on the internet for all your comics, uh, news, opinions, humor features, uh, questions, and answers about Batman and his various villains. Uh, you can also find me at d-isb.com. That's my blog where I post stuff. Uh, that I do. Uh, I may post some pictures that I took while I was up in New York City. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at the ISB. That's T H E I S B. And you can find my webcomic, which is launching its next major story arc, uh, Awesome Hospital Forever, this week at awesomehospital.com. And I believe that is it. So uh, if you're in New York, thanks for having me. I had a uh, wonderful time, and I'll keep you guys posted. Yeah, thanks for uh, regaling us with your travelogue, Chris. <laughs> I went there. It was cold. I ate some food. Ajax, out. Yeah!